This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The second reading is from the book of Ephesians. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that, with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe? According to the working of his great power, God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? The king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You are... You that are accursed, depart from me into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. God. 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the popular culture is priming us to be joyful as this holiday season approaches, all along with premature decorations everywhere. Television will be providing us with a generous schedule of heartwarming stories of goodwill. I'm not dissing this, but I observe that not everyone is in the mood. Just the other day, a friend of mine shared feelings of deep depression and anger over the state of the country and the world. Particularly, this friend cited the turmoil of division in our society, the outbreaks of gun violence, the resurgence of racism, the scourge of drugs, our retreat from environmental responsibility, loss of trust in our leadership, and more. And this friend is joined by other voices I've heard with similar laments, including serious questions about how to keep faith, how to keep believing in the face of all of this. Of course, life in our fallen world has always challenged faith. In my lifetime alone, we have seen World War II, the Holocaust, atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Korean War, the Cold War, the agonizing Vietnam War, lynchings in the South, civil rights riots across the land, a growing environmental crisis, and we have now been in this young 21st century at war longer than at any time in our history. And the atrocities of ISIS and the unspeakable brutality against the Muslim minority in Myanmar has taken us back centuries before any gains that humanity may have made in modern times. Now we have an inescapable 24-hour news cycle to keep, us, to keep us abreast of all the disturbing news. There's no place to hide. How is it we see these horrors in a world that we believe to be ruled by a good and all-powerful God? This question is the question of the problem of evil, and it has haunted the thoughts of Christians and challenged faith from ancient times up to the present. Luther thought his world was so riddled with evil that he was sure it was about to come to an end. Well, in stark contrast to laments about our troubled world, we have the triumphant declaration from Ephesians. According to the working of his great power, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and made him head over all things for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is risen. Christ reigns over all things and forever. 
That is what we celebrate this day, the reign of Christ over all things and forever. While sectarian forces of our day claim to wage holy war against infidels, we proclaim that the final holy war has been won. It was waged against sin and death at Calvary, and Christ is the victor. Yet even as we celebrate, there is an unsettling truth waiting in the wings. We live in the tension between the glorious message of Christ's dominion and the demoralizing realities of a world still under the sway of evil. We think of the gospel reading for today and and may be tempted to think there are far too many goats and not nearly enough sheep. And dare we ask, even in the silence of our own minds, if all things are really under Christ's feet, under his rule, really? There are two temptations lurking in this question. The one is the obvious, to doubt that Christ really reigns and therefore continued faith in him is an open question. The problem of evil has driven many to despair of any hope from God. How can one still believe after the Holocaust has been a frequently asked question and it still is being asked. But some don't even ask it anymore because they have concluded You can't. The other temptation is to conclude that Christ does indeed reign, but that's for the world to come, not for this world. The result is sort of to give up on this world and relegate faith to a matter of personal salvation. As the old hymn has it, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Earth is but dark and drear. Heaven is my home. Well, we, uh, <laughs> I seem to be missing a page from this sermon here. <laughs> There's always something. Uh, here I found it. It came back to me. I'd like to blame the person who put this together after the last service, but I probably can't do that. All right, let's get back to the hymn. What it, you know, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Earth is but dark and drear. Heaven is my home. So why bother with work for peace and justice and other hopeless causes? Be good. Help your neighbor go to church. However, our text draws us back. We Christians do not have the luxury of quitting on the faith. And we do not have the luxury of quitting on the world. We have been called, the Ephesians, and we are reminded of this. The author, possibly Paul, prays that we will receive the Spirit so that we may, with eyes of our heart enlightened, know the hope to which we are called. The call is an established fact. The prayer for the Spirit is to help us know and embrace it. The text does not offer suggestions we might wish to consider. The grace of God has taken hold of us. 
And though our own lives as sinner saints have some of the ambiguity of the world we live in, we are still called. We still belong to Christ, and Christ reigns. Christ's reign is over all things. This means that the whole of creation is being drawn into the future of God's redeeming love in all things and forever. All things and forever. As called, as captured by divine grace, we are his body, his church, ordained to his mission. We cannot quit on the world with all its tragic realities because God has not quit on the world and we belong to God. We are Christ's body. As such, we are the messengers of God's future for the world that Christ, the future that Christ has revealed in his victory. In the Eucharist, we eat the meal that is a foretaste of the feast to come. We are served so that we may serve. The promise of that future feast is the redemption of all things forever. As messengers of the future, all things are our concern as well. The future is with us and yet not fully arrived. Our call, however, is not just to wait for it. No, our call is to witness to its coming by working for those values which are its promise. We are to be the sheep to use the image in today's gospel, driven by love to seek the well-being of our neighbors and we would add the well-being of the entire creation. And the main message of that reading is not that the goats get theirs. It is that the values of love forever prevail in God's reign. In a world that frequently fails itself, being faithful witnesses in word and deed to the truth of Christ's dominion is not a sprint. It is a marathon, a long-distance run. In marathons, you know, there are volunteers along the way to splash the runners with water and refresh them with a drink so that they can make it to the finish line. And that's what God does for God's own marathon marathoners as well. There are moments when the future enters our present like a refreshing drink for the journey. A child who is left in anger returns in love (laughs) to bring exquisite joy and renewed hope. Oh, I remember when the Berlin Wall fell. I never thought I would live to see that growing up under the scare of communism. And once forbidden Christmas carols were heard in the streets of Eastern Europe. A taste of new life. A loved one recovers from a terrible illness to restore one's joy in living. Growing up as a child in constant fear of polio, I remember the eyes of my parents filled with tears of deep gratitude as an unpretentious Dr. Jonas Salk announced a vaccine to stop it. Oh my, a glimpse of God's promise 
of ultimate healing. A word of forgiveness that restores a broken relationship foreshadows the power of God's forgiveness to reunite us with God and with each other. Even seasonal moments of charity, though they come and go, can bear the mark of God's future of love. And as we turn to our right and to our left, and we see each other strengthening one another by our shared faith and our shared worship. So, so we know then that it will not be a lonely run, but a marathon we run together that provides a promise of God's resurrection community. Isaiah's words reach out to us. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we here at Lord of Life are not just a fine congregation. We are guardians of the message that evil has been defeated and that even evildoers may yet be newly created. Thanks be to God. Amen.